Hey listeners, Madison here. Just another reminder that my sound quality will improve by episode four, so just hang in there one more episode and then I promise it improves. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy this special first guest episode of Love at First Screening. Hello, and welcome back to Love at First Screening, the show where I, rom-com enthusiast Madison, introduce my friend, co-host, and resident genre skeptic, Chelsea. That's me. To all the feel-good, cliche, romantic, questionable, hilarious, occasionally humorous, films she's never wanted to watch. This week, we watched Pretty Woman, came out in 1990, featuring the illustrious julia roberts although i've heard that men are afraid of her teeth we'll get into that later uh richard gear they star as our main two love interests and it was directed by gary marshall who also directed fabulous absolutely wonderful films such as the princess diaries do i know that he did other films yes but that's the one that matters. Um, it also features Hector Elizondo, because of course it does, because he is in every Gary Marshall film. Anyway, moving on from that, the film centers on a Hollywood sex worker, Vivian Ward, played by Julia Roberts, and a wealthy businessman, Edward Lewis. What does he do for business? I'm still not quite sure. <laughs> but he hires Vivian to stay with him for a week long. Um, business trip with him while he is in Beverly Hills. And of course, because this is a beautiful rom-com full of nothing but classic romance, they fall in love. Wow, Madison, episode three, and you've already picked a film that I have seen more than once, I might add. Uh, well, we couldn't leave out the classics. That's the problem. We have to fit this in somewhere. It might as well be now. And it gives us a beautiful opportunity. To bring in some reinforcements. Because this film, obviously, it was neither of our first screenings. So we need some fresh eyes, if you will. So without further ado, please welcome our very first guest. The longtime listener of all my strange tangents. And Madison's favorite TikToker, my younger sister, Marissa. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us. The last time I saw Marissa, we were at Roller Derby, so it's lovely to see her face. Uh, great times, great times. So Marissa, uh, I guess, I feel like podcasts usually ask their guests to like tell us a little bit about yourself. So you don't necessarily have to tell Madison and I all about you, we know that, but Tell the audience uh, your thoughts and feelings on the romantic comedy genre as a whole. Um, I'm kind of a like take it or leave it kind of person. I think th there are rom-coms that I do quite enjoy. Um, I do understand why some people are like, oh, you know, they're kind of cheesy and everything. I also, you know, I grew up with you, Chelsea. So I know, uh, I know a romantic comedy cynic when I see one. <laughs> 
I feel like I try to give them a chance. Um, there are some that I just flat out and like, okay, no, I'm not going to see that. What are some of your like favorite ones, ones that you enjoy? My mind is going completely blank right now. It's okay. Take a minute. I can't think of any romantic comedies off the top of my head. Is that sad? You guys asked me to be a guest on this show and I'm not prepared. Wow. Um, please leave. Okay, I'll see myself out. Goodbye. Because I feel like the movies that I'm thinking of, I don't think they would be classified as romantic comedies because they're more like fantasy films. Because like the first movie that popped in my head was Stardust. And I'm like, that's more of a fantasy film, but there is like romance and there is comedy and everything. I, you know, it maybe just depends on the type of person, where whether or not you would categorize it as a romantic comedy. Well, you know, Madison and I have come up with three criteria to determine whether or not something is a romantic comedy. Because uh, as people will remember from last time when we watched music and lyrics, we determined that it was actually not a romantic comedy, which is probably why I enjoyed it. I mean, I think we might have to add Stardust on our list now purely to watch Robert De Niro in drag. We could do a special episode. Please bring me back for that episode, please. We'll consider it, if as long as you promise to be more prepared. Yes, I will. I'm sorry. We're a very professional podcast, so I, you need to be on your A-game, okay? We had a lot of guests lined up that could have done this, and we picked you, so. I know, I barely made it past security clearance. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, we were trying to figure out who to come on for this. We had obviously to find someone who had not seen Pretty Woman in its entirety and had any recollection of it. Um, so I called my little sister while we were on FaceTime together. She picks up and I'm like, hey, no, no introduction. Hey, have you seen Pretty Woman? She goes, yes. Immediately hung up on her. She was left so confused. We don't have any time to waste, okay? Time is money. Chop, chop. Like... That's what we learned in the first episode. That is exactly what Tom Hanks taught us. So he is the Norman Rockwell painting of America. Well, Marissa, what you sort of know, because I've told you, uh, is that usually Madison likes to guess whether or not she thinks I enjoyed the movie she made me watch. Uh, But I think that you being the guest who had not seen this film... I think that Madison and I will now try to guess whether we think you enjoyed this film. So Madison, because this is your domain, why don't you go first? I, okay, look, I don't think that Marissa necessarily hated it. Like, she's not going to have a vendetta against Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. She's not going to go to their house and commit mild arson. But she does commit mild arson so often. Please, someone realize and track her to all of the arson she's done. But I don't think that she hated it. That being said, I don't think she's like, wow, I could not have lived my life without this movie. So I'm giving it a solid neutral. Like, if it was on in the background, she wouldn't necessarily turn it off. But only if she had, like... I don't know, like Animal Crossing in her hands, you know? Interesting. I'm sort of with you. I'm going to say neutral leaning positive uh, because I think she would have been charmed by Julia Roberts' performance. And I also think that she would have appreciated the fact that the sex scenes are not 
gratuitous. In fact, they're they're almost like closed door uh, in a lot of ways. So I think in those realms, I think she's going to give it a, a little bit of a thumbs up. But I don't think she's like over the moon. This is my new favorite film. Can't believe I haven't seen it till now. So, Marissa, would you like to tell us what you actually thought? Um, so I definitely didn't hate it. But honestly, I don't even think I really liked it. Like, <laughs> like, like, again, I'm not going to go like track down Julia Roberts and, you know, Richard Gere. I can't remember say his last name correctly. <laughs> and I'm not going to go to like, you know, Gary Marshall's grave and like, you know, <laughs> be like, how dare you? <laughs> but OK, first of all. I just, I just can't get over the fact that this man also directed Princess Diaries and Princess Di- Diaries 2 Royal Engagement. Like, that just blows my mind. Okay, but for those of you keeping track at home, if you've, if I, I saw Princess Diaries first because this movie came out in 1990, right? I wasn't even alive yet. So Princess Diaries, I think came out in what, 01, 02, somewhere around there. Obviously, I saw that first. <laughs> But when I watched this movie for the first time, I remember during the dinner scene where she like is has the the snail and it slips and the guy catches it. I went, this happens in the Princess Diaries during the dinner scene. I'm like, because and it's the same guy, the butler that catches it. It's the same guy that's like the castle attendant in the Princess Diaries. And it's the same line. It's. Uh, it happens all the time. It's not a snail. I think it's uh, her bracelet goes flying or something. The exact same scene. Yeah, no, that's actually... So there are a couple running Gary Marshall gags across his films, like tracking from this one to Princess Diaries and onward, um, featuring the illustrious Chris Pine, who I refer to as Chris Pine. Um, don't look at my restraining order. Anyway, the, the best yeah. Chris. Um, but no, there's the, there's the attendant who, yeah, oh, it happens all the time. Um, and then, of course, there's Hector Elizondo, who in this uh, plays the fabulous manager of the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And there's also his daughter. Uh, she works the front desk. She's Charlotte. She's the queen's, like, uh, I think she's the Genovian attache. No, what's her? I don't know what her official title is. Oh, God. Shame on for not knowing Genovian history. Uh, <laughs> but no, so they... Wait, who? Charlotte, she's the attendant to the queen. Yeah, that's Hector Elizondo's daughter. That's Hector Elizondo's? I thought that was Gary Marshall's daughter. That's Gary Marshall's daughter? Oh my god, I might have my things completely clipped. But wait, who was she in Pretty Woman? She was the front desk attendant. The one when Kit, especially when Kit was like leaning across and like breathing on the desk. I don't think I recognized her. I'm pretty sure that's Gary Marshall's daughter. You're right. It might be Gary Marshall's daughter. Oh my God. Clearly I did this well to where I know everything about uh, (laughs) Gary Marshall as I should walking into this as the resident expert. But yeah, so so there are a few running gags that I don't know what is, but Gary Marshall just loved. And I think that they're really cheeky and really cute. 
I did clock that he has a cameo in this film, and now for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. I think he was a parking attendant or something, or he maybe he was running some kind of store on Hollywood Boulevard. He, I did see him in this movie, and I, I'm, I don't remember where it was. Oh, and Paolo, Paolo's the one who's sucking up to them. Yeah. So, so Gary Marshall just really likes to recycle his cast. He also directed. Um, Runaway Bride, if I'm not mistaken, and that's also uh, has Julia Roberts and Richard Gere in it as the uh, main love interests. So yeah, he directed that in 1999. But yeah, so okay, I just want to go in deep dive into this. So either one of you, um, you know, Chelsea's our resident skeptic. I know that uh, Marissa, this was not necessarily a fan fave. Thankfully, you're not currently peeing on Gary Marshall's grave. God rest his soul. Uh, <laughs> but what were your initial impressions? You know, she's uh, she's coloring in her boots. She has the flippy wig. She's in that weird uh, outfit. Gorgeous. I've colored in boots like that. So, thoughts? Well... I when she when she was coloring in her boots with like the sharpie or whatever, I was just like, I I would do that if if it would especially like if it was a pair of boots that like I really loved or something that like I I'm just like I can't get rid of these. I know for her it probably was more like I can't afford to get a new pair, but I could see myself doing that. I I thought she looked iconic that's a very iconic look the like just that costume in general like you know there was that whole controversy with like I don't remember if it was like on dance moms or something but there was like a little girl at a dance competition who wore that exact outfit to do a dance and there was like a whole controversy about it I don't remember the details, but like I just remember that she she was very. Ma'am, you dressed your child as a sex worker, please, please, ma'am. I just remember the part where she like she's like going down, where she was gonna go down the stairs, but then I guess like her landlord was downstairs, and I I'm assuming that maybe her and Kit are like behind on rent. Um, so she goes down the fire escape, and I was just like. I could never in those shoes. I would die. Desperate times. I mean, I guess maybe my adrenaline could possibly kick in and I'd be fine. But like... I feel like this is also a really good time to mention that for this film, uh, Julia Roberts did in fact have a butt double. She had a butt double? Yeah, so any butt that you see that is not Julia Roberts' butt. Could you imagine your legacy just being like, oh yeah, it was Julia Roberts' butt double. <laughs> I mean, get that cash however you need to get that cash. That's all I'm saying. Which is really a great motto for this film. It really is. However, I feel like she should have been charging him more. Oh, absolutely. I was like, granted, I don't know how much like sex workers charge currently. Um, and I know that like inflation is a thing, but like... I, I was just like, because she was charging him $100 an hour or 300 for the whole night. And I was like, that just doesn't seem right. So I'm so glad you bring up inflation because as Madison will recall from our first episode where I explained why the pricing of the books was absolutely bananas. Uh, I just thought, you know, I got out the inflation calculator again just because I was curious what. Uh, so their rent, let's let's talk about their rent. 
Now, I'm pretty sure that the $200 was for the rent. So we're to believe that that was the total rent, not just Julia Roberts' share of the rent, right? $200 in 1999 today would only be $453, which they're in Hollywood. Point me to an apartment. That is $453 because that's calculated for inflation. So if anything, this just underscores the reality of artificial inflation in housing. But I digress. Also, I did the calculation for the $3,000 she's going to get for that whole week. It is uh, $6,798. So almost $6,800 that she's making uh, for the week, which is, is but she, he could have paid more. He, he's doing a $1 billion deal. He could absolutely pay her 10 grand in 1999. And then that would be a lot more. It'd be significantly more in 2020 or 2022. I don't even know what year it is. She was lowballing herself is what she was doing. I mean, I know she had perks. You know, she got clothes and stuff as well. But, you know, I'm just saying, I think she should have charged him more. Amen. What do you say that it's uh, a... Big mistake. Big. <laughs> huge. Thank you, Madison. You're welcome. Yeah, so we have we have the initial. Obviously, she should have set her price higher. Um, but just to, I, I don't, I don't want to get too, you know, out of the plot or out of the fray or anything. But Marissa, you are a fan of musicals. Yes, I am. Is this not simply My Fair Lady? <laughs> It, it it has very similar aspects to my fair fair lady and then also it ha it uh it drew inspiration on the opera la traviata which is the opera that they go see in the movie amazing we were supposed to be the experts here but we've invited an expert instead um yeah so would you say that um if you don't appreciate opera uh, the first time you see it, that it'll never truly penetrate your soul or whatever the fuck Richard Gere said. I mean, I wouldn't be a pretentious asshole about it like he is, but I mean, like, her reaction, like, af- after seeing the opera, I was just like, that's literally me whenever I go see, like, a piece of theater. I'm just, like, so moved by it and tears. And, you know, sometimes it's, something as like you know i cried watching shrek the musical so maybe don't go off of my emotional reactions but you know well you know that that whatever he says right so i what what, i was watching something recently oh i i i i just recently finished watching apple tv's uh dickinson which is about emily dickinson the poet um i enjoyed it so if you're looking for a tv wreck anyway uh they go i think in season three they go to an opera and one of the characters says that. And I was like, why does that sound familiar? And originally, and I have to double check because I actually think it is in both of these movies. Originally, I thought, because there's an opera scene in Moonstruck, which happens to be a rom-com I have seen. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Nicolas Cage says it to Cher. But then when I was rewatching this, I went, oh, okay, maybe it was this. But then I looked it up because I'm like, okay, is this like a running thing? Or like, where did this come from? And uh, from my Googling, this is something that somebody named J.F. Lawton said. Um, I didn't go down that big of a rabbit hole, but so it doesn't sound like it originated in this film or any other movie that I might have heard it in. Um, So it 
maybe it's just something someone said about opera at some point, and now it's just a thing that Hollywood throws in anytime people go to the opera. Uh, I've never been to the opera, so uh, when I do go, maybe one day, someone can say this to me. Um, I don't think it will be a good opera experience if they do not. I'll keep that in mind if we ever go to the opera to say that to you. Thank you. You're welcome. Now I can't go to the opera without either of you, because what if my companion does not say it? And my whole experience is ruined and I can only ever learn to appreciate it and not feel it deeply in my soul. Well, then your opera experience will suck. (laughs) So we have, you know, the introduction. Also, I, okay, I actually really liked how they painted Kat's character because they could have painted her as not a great person at all, not a great character because the first time we meet her, She's at a club, hanging out with some pimp. Um, She used the rent money to buy drugs uh, or to pay off this guy for drugs that she had already also bought from him. And we learn that she's the one who uh, gets uh, Vivian into sex work once she is in Hollywood. But she's never posed as, like, a negative character. You know, she ultimately, in my opinion, she's very much comedic relief sort of thing. And then at the end, we see her getting a new roommate, talking about going to beauty school and stuff like that. So I just wanted to get y'all's opinion on Kat as a character in general, because I feel like they could have been a lot harsher on her in their, like, very obvious portrayal than they were. Is it Kat or Kit? You know what? It's Kit. You know what? I can just repeat all of that again with Kit, but I feel like that would be disingenuous to our listeners. So please know that I've never known a single character's name in my life, and I will be referring to Jason Alexander's character in this as George Costanza the entire time. I'll be referring to his character as Lionel from Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella. With Brandy and Whoopi Goldberg and... Oh god, what's his name? Who the 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 king, Victor Garber? Thank you. We stand. We stand Victor Garber in this house. You're the only one in that house. Well, you know, it, our our metaphorical house, Chelsea. To get back to your question, Madison, um about Kit Kat. About Kit Kat, yeah. So, it's interesting, right? Because watching this, I'm thinking like, you know, I I think Julia Roberts is Vivian is uh, portrayed very well, but I think it's kind of like that thing where it's like, well, she's not one of those sex workers, right? Like big air quotes around those, like she's not that kind. And and we see that with, you know, like the bathroom scene where he thinks that she's doing drugs and it turns out to be dental floss. And I mean, ask literally anyone who the hell floss is to begin with. And so he's super surprised that this person who I think collectively the public has decided are like, and this is not me, I'm like talking about a collective opinion of sex work and sex workers as being like dirty or like addicts, you know, those kinds of things. So the fact that this woman is taking care of her gums better than probably most people that are uh, working uh, jobs that society would actually respect um, is quite surprising. 
And I think that that immediately cements her as like, oh, well, she, yeah, she's a sex worker, but she's not that kind of sex worker. And I don't know how I feel about that because you, we have her in comparison to Kit, but Kit is a little bit more, I don't think she's portrayed in the worst light, but she's definitely portrayed worse off than Vivian is. And we, the only other like view that we have of sex work in this film uh, are there's one other sex worker that they come across on the street that Kit says, like, you're, this is our territory. Like, you need to go down. You know, like, this is what we work. You need to move. And she's backs off. Okay. And the, and I, if correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the body in the alley at the beginning of the movie um, is a, is a sex worker. So like, those are the only on-screen depictions of this type of person or character. And I don't even really want to say that because obviously like people are not a monolith, like all shapes and sizes, right? But like, I think this film, I don't know that this film actually says much about that profession at all in any kind of like meaningful way. I think it's just sort of like does does what it does to cement the fact that, well, we can root for Vivian because X, Y, Z. Yeah, no, absolutely. So in researching about this movie, um, it actually was not originally supposed to be a rom-com. What happened is it was supposed to be a quote, thank you, Wikipedia, uh, quote, like dark cautionary tale <clears throat> about classes and sex work. Um, and then Gary Marshall got a hold of it um, and attached a big budget to it. And, you know, a dark art house film about sex workers and, you know, high class men wasn't going to sell and probably wasn't a project that was going to be attached to big names like Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And so they ended up turning it into a rom-com, which I think is a sort of hard left in a lot of way, hard right, however you want to put it. Um, from the original intent and you could argue money you could also argue influence you know this is very clearly very much you know the my fair lady kind of route of oh I can teach you how to walk and talk and dress and that sort of thing side note I started watching the um Audrey Hepburn my fair lady the other day and I was like oh my god this is actually really um terrifying they just to women like that that's our our all right and it's not even like a necessarily a woman thing it's like a they spoke to uh lower class people like that that's a, really something all right it's kind of almost as terrible at not almost as terrible it's not nearly as terrible as shipping asylum seekers to from uh texas or florida to i don't know martha's vineyard yeah, just to throw out just a random thing completely unrelated to this film or current events. Just, you know, just spitballing. Absolutely. But yeah, no, so it's originally supposed to be a lot grittier. And I think that they some of that bleeds in with um, the, the woman that they found in the alley where the Orlando tourists were taking pictures of the body like it was a sideshow. Um, Skinny Marie. And then uh, there was another woman rachel 
that they referenced, you know, and a uh, kid dismisses it and it's like, well, that's your classic case of crackhead. Um, and so it really does create this really weird um, dichotomy of you can be uh, a woman who's only thing she has left is her heart of gold and her body. How is she supposed to make it through this world? Or you have the much darker, grungier look and there's no in between. And the what and the Julia Roberts of the world are just waiting for the Richard Gears to pick them up and drag them out of poverty. And, you know, anyone else who can attach themselves, you know, with the Edward Lewis scholarship fund that Kit receives at the end of it, that sort of thing. So that's definitely something. I guess we could file that against our crimes against women uh, sector in our podcast. Sorry, I did want to take a quick ad break um, just to say that this podcast is sponsored by Dental Floss. If you have strawberry seeds in your teeth that were seductively ordered for you by Richard Gere, please go out and use promo code Love at First Screening. Uh, the full thing, it's a really long promo code Love at First Screening for your free dental floss. We, we, you know, we're a very professional podcast, Marissa, so we, we have lots of sponsors. Speaking of sponsors, not to just, you know, veer in another direction, but I, 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 I found some uh, similarities uh, between uh, this film and the last film we watched, Music and Lyrics. Um, and, you know, I know we discussed that we, we should, we're, we're gunning hard for a mattress company to sponsor us because, you know, rom-coms, they have sex. Where do people have sex on mattresses? I think I was sorely misinformed where people have sex because apparently it's either underneath or on top of pianos. That seems to be a hot spot for sexual activity. So Yamaha, if you're listening and you would like to sponsor us, you know, I literally in my notes said not on the piano with like a bunch of exclamation points. Well, it's not a priceless antique, so they can do it on the piano. And that, my friends, is a reference to Red, White, and Royal Blue. Uh, yes, this podcast is also brought to you by Casey McQuiston and all of their beautiful works, even though they do not know who we are. And that's fine. Maybe that's for the best. Madison has read all of their work. I'm obsessed. I actually was thinking about buying a whole anthology just to read the one short story that they have published in it. I support that decision. Marissa, um, how are you liking the mattress provided by all of our mattress sponsors? It's a dream. It's just me and the cat. It's 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 great. <laughs> that was really great promo. Thank you. Our our sponsors are over the moon at that just glowing uh recommendation um marissa we like to uh tally crimes against women and this doesn't have to be something that is actually illegal just something that can fall under the umbrella of crime when a woman is wronged when a woman is mistreated we like to take stock of this um and uh make note of it so you know uh no rush this can be throughout the episode but if if you would like to note a, a crime against women, we will file it and send it off to the proper, uh, through the proper channels. Uh, we're looking for justice. We do know many authorities. Every single authority. Especially the Canadian Mounties. <laughs> they are fierce. Pretty sure they read news. I read that once in a very scientific and true article. I don't think anything is riding a moose. 
Also, do you understand how big a moose is? Okay, we are very off topic, but do you understand how large a moose is? They are like, I think people compare them to horses. They make horses look like squirrels. Like they are massive. The only thing I know about moose is that if you give one a muffin, he'll want some jam to go with it. But if you give a sex worker a fabulous wardrobe, She'll tell the people that wronged her to go fuck themselves. Amen. Absolutely amen. Um, but yeah, so, you know, were there any specific crimes against women other than the ones we previously stated that just really punched you in the face? Well, there's the actual crime that happens. Uh, yes, there's the stating the obvious. There's the stating the obvious crime that happens against Vivian. Are you talking about uh, one George Costanza? Yeah, I'm absolutely talking about George Costanza. Yes. Lionel, you you know better. Shame on you. I don't even know what his name in this film is. I just know that it's Jason Alexander. But this is no hate to actual actor Jason Alexander. He was just doing what the script called for. But you know. At least I'm hoping that it was in the script because that would be terrible. But, you know, sometimes you hear about stories about like, oh, yeah, we didn't uh, have that in the script. We just did that. And you're like, um, that's a literal, literal crime. And this is why we need uh, intimacy coordinators uh, yes. on all sets. Um, if anybody's looking for a TikToker to follow besides Marissa, who is fabulous, uh, intimacy coordinator on TikTok. Those videos are fascinating. Um, and she's one of the pioneers uh, of that role uh, in the industry. So, And honestly, I think no matter what level of intimacy there is, there needs to be an intimacy coordinator. We did a show at my school uh, back in the spring. It was called Mother Road. Great show. There was no like kissing or anything in the show, but there were like kind of like tender moments between the main character and his love interest. And they had an intimacy coordinator, I believe is what one of the cast members told me. And they said that it made them feel safe. Wow. Good on you, KSU. I really hope that that's correct. I really, <laughs> I'm now like scared that that's not what it was. And I'm just like misremembering the conversation I had with my friend. I think that's great though. And I think that, one thing you mentioned it earlier, Chelsea. One nice thing about this movie is that while it is relatively sexualized, the sex is not obvious. It's not uh, heavily showcased within it. Um, but I do think that there was one scene in particular that could have really benefited from an intimacy coordinator, from better angled filming. Um, another shot taken and that was the final kiss scene because I have never been more disturbed by a kissing scene with the way they're just mashing each other's faces together and I want this known that I am the rom-com lover in this group I like this movie actually I'm not gonna I, I we didn't say whether or not Chelsea liked it I have sneaking suspicion she certainly did not enjoy it uh we'll have to see where it falls measured against like you've got mail um her favorite movie that she's ever seen but uh yeah no that was a really horribly filmed shot and it ended all of it 
it wasn't a good kiss. While we're on the subject, I don't know that this is because I, I can't name another film that Richard Gere is in. I, I like that I've seen. But what is his is his name? Robert? His name is Edward. <laughs> it's a white man name. Anyway, he's like he's boring. Is he not? I he's just kind of lackluster uh, to answer your question about um, whether or not I like this film. Um, I like this film okay. Uh, I, I've seen it before. I probably liked it more the first time that I watched it. I'm on the positive leaning side of the spectrum, but that's mostly because I find Julia Roberts' performance uh, just so endearing. Like, I enjoy Vivian. Um, but, like, most of the, uh, like, the other people in the film, I don't know what, I, I don't understand why the business stuff is really necessary. Like, those scenes where they're, like, in the, 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 like, in a conference room, I'm like, this could have been cut. I, I understand the scene at dinner. I understand the, the horse polo, polo game. Also, rich people are ridiculous. Can we, can we, can we say that? I think, what, what is this? What, they're just in, also, oh, it's so fun. We'll go push the grass back into the ground. A time-honored tradition. I mean, I suppose that was probably, I don't know anything about polo, but I'm speculating that it was, you know, I'm sure polo's been around for a while, and that was when, you know, people had to really fill their days because there was just absolutely nothing happening. So, yeah, let's take some time to go, you know. Listen, I would rather go see polo then go like wave a ship off as it goes on its voyage that's something people did is it because of the horses yeah okay speaking of horses i know that that was not in this movie and yet i kept expecting a group of women to look over and see brendan fraser like with a billowy white shirt a la his uh uh that's in george of the jungle and he's just like galloping with the horses and like these women are just entranced by the majesty of it um, because all the other men are just in suits looking like pinch faced. But anyway, what was I saying before I got off on the tangent about rich people? Oh, what I liked about the film, what I didn't like about the film. Yeah, I just think uh, Edward, who I keep wanting to call Robert because that's how memorable he is. I don't understand why he's the love interest like i i don't get it so i rewatched this when i was rewatching it i rewatched it with my boyfriend paul and he when watching it he goes multiple times i don't understand and i said which part because there were options you know and he goes everyone's acting like julia roberts is this wild child out of control like all of her reactions the way she talks and the way she acts is crazy and wild maybe a little redneck because she's from milledgeville i was like yeah he goes but she's the normal one everyone else is like pinched and reserved he goes nothing that richard Gere has done in this movie is a normal person reaction to anything Paul is absolutely right. Yeah, no, he he was very confused, uh, just just really the whole time. But I I completely agree. I think that they were so. I think the other problem that this causes in the movie, though, very very genuinely, is that 
Richard Gere's character is supposed to come off as really cold, really reserved. He's the businessman with, you know, uh, uh, as he put it, a talent for impossible relationships, right? So clearly he's just not gelling socially, romantically with anyone that he's with. And what that comes across as, though, is a really distinct lack of chemistry between the actors themselves. Because Julia Roberts is acting her Georgia Peach heart off. Like, she is amazing in this role, deeply and truly. And it's like, you could replace Richard Gere with pretty much any actor. I mean, you could probably replace him with a cardboard cutout of himself. And in multiple scenes, you would not be able to tell. That is very accurate. Yeah, I just found myself, and this is not the first time I've thought that. I, I've thought that in previous viewings of this film. I just, I'm like, I don't understand why he's the love interest. Other than the fact that he's the one that invited her up into the hotel room and Eliza Doolittle, her life. <laughs> Sorry. It sounds so dirty in the context of this movie. Like, oh yeah, he doolittled her. Maybe she doolittled him, you know? Like, maybe it's mutual doolittling. By George, I think she's got it. (laughs) So, before we move into, like, criteria and everything like that for the movie, um, I did want to ask if there were favorite scenes favorite moments that just really stuck out because I think my favorite scene in this entire movie is probably the bathtub scene where first she's really poorly singing Prince and then um, they do the deal and she sinks under and it's just like happy spastic moment in this massive tub. So I would say that's probably my favorite. The thing that popped into my head was like, when during the the scene where she goes to dinner with Edward and then the two businessmen are there, I I, I didn't find the scene entertaining, but um I I was entertained by the fact that I was trying to figure out what classical music was playing in the background. Did figure it out. It was Vivaldi, Four Seasons. I believe it was uh the Spring Concerto. Ten out of ten. Would recommend. Vivaldi is great. <laughs> Love that probably Madison and I didn't even think to think about the music, didn't even register it was there. Meanwhile, Marissa's like, what classical piece is playing? Well, because like I recognized it. I was like, why does this sound familiar? And then I was like, oh, wait, I think this is Vivaldi. And then as I was listening to it, I was like, it's spring. It's definitely spring. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, ha- I have a weird obsession with classical music. It adds to the refinery of the the movie. Of course, you know, I'm just a basic bitch when it comes to classical music because I like Tchaikovsky. I'm not dignified like some people. Marissa, I this is worth the airtime. Please tell us this story. Uh, this happened, it, it was like over a year ago. It might even be two years at this point. I was on Bumble. Uh, because Marissa is searching for love. Um, <laughs> but I was on Bumble and I was talking to this guy. Don't remember his name. But I remembered that, you know, in his profile, he said that he liked classical music. And I was like, oh, I like classical music. So I, you know, we matched. 
And then I say like, oh, you like classical music. That's so cool. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I like classical music too. He's like, oh, really? Who's your favorite composer? And I said, I don't know a whole lot. And I'm not super familiar with a wide array of composers, but I really love Tchaikovsky. He says, LOL, that's so basic. And I'm sitting there like, okay. Um, so then I text him, I'm like, all right, well, who, who's your favorite composer? This man had the audacity to say Beethoven. And then I said, is Beethoven not considered basic? And he said, no, I don't think he is. So do you want to make out sometime? And then I said, no, and I unmatched him. Wow. This podcast is brought to you by the audacity of men. It's solar powered and lasts longer than even the best energizer battery because it will never fucking die. Yeah, I just it it and listen, there's nothing wrong with liking Beethoven. He's a solid composer. Feralise, Moonlight Sonata, love him. But like, listen, bro. There are several movies about a dog named Beethoven. I think that means he's a little basic. At least Tchaikovsky, like, yeah, he's a little basic. But you know what? He added a little spice to his thing, by, to his music, by, you know, adding, like, cannons. The man knew how to keep people interested. Also, Tchaikovsky, 1,000% gay. We we love a gay icon like Tchaikovsky. <laughs> Was um was Edward playing anything specific that you could recognize during the um infamous The piano foreplay? Get it? Instead of forte? <laughs> Thank you. But um uh I did not recognize anything from that. I also would just like to um add a little disclaimer that I am in no way claiming to be like a classical music expert. Marissa, that's why we invited you on. <laughs> I'm just a girl that watched Fantasia, Fantasia 2000, 2000 at a very impressionable age and fell in love with classical music but knows nothing about it. And we love that. We don't want some stuck-up prick telling us every single thing about classical music in our rom-com, okay? We want someone that loves classical music to just tell us that they so happen to have heard something playing in the background that we didn't even notice. That's not my favorite of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Uh, if I had to pick one, it would be Winter, the Winter con- uh, Concerto. That's my favorite. Also, highly recommend looking up like a, a metal cover of it. It's It absolutely shreds. Like, just imagine like Eddie Munson from Stranger Things. <laughs> this has been my life since July. I don't blame her. I mean, that, that Eddie Munson, that... that curly mullet thing that's on his head i laid down my life for that chelsea have you seen his big beautiful like brown baby cow eyes they just melt your heart also just joseph quinn i love him did you know marissa that he's actually a supporter of this podcast he is huge fan of the pod oh wow hey joe what's up uh if you want chelsea can give you my number I am single. <laughs> well, on that, um, Marissa, we would really like for you to help us out in determining is Pretty Woman a rom-com? 
we have three pieces of criteria that a movie has to make for it to be considered a rom-com by this podcast. First up, we have, do they date? Are there significant scenes and depictions of courtship and flirting and the like, right? Uh, a, a tension uh, that uh, is significant to the plot, okay? Not just a one-off date, but something that's meaningful, right? Then, did I laugh, right? Is it funny? Does the comedy work? Did, you know, is there comedy? I mean, that it's a romantic comedy. And then, does love conquer the plot? Meaning, is the romance absolutely necessary for this film to make sense? For the plot of this film to make sense? If we took out the romance, would this film still work? So those are our three criterias. So do they date? Did we laugh? Does love conquer the plot? So do they date? This is, I have questions, right? Because she's being paid to be there. So do we have moments that we can argue that she was not being paid? Or I guess that we think she was, she would have been there even if she wasn't being paid. Because he specifically, the reason, or so he says that he hires her, is because he doesn't want to have to deal with romance. So this one to me is a little tricky, and there are two different moments where it feels like it is actual legitimate courtship in some ways. The first uh, one that jumps out in my mind is the shopping sequence where he takes her to go shopping because it's, it's unconventional, you know, it's not, but it does lead into like the picnic that they have and that sort of thing. So that whole day where they're taking the day off, they're going shopping, they're picnicking, that sort of thing. I feel like that gives us enough justification for the courtship element, along with also the quiet moments that they have when they're talking on the balcony. And um, when there was just like this one moment when she's watching uh, I Love Lucy, where it's like this, you know, more than just a, a paid actor of sorts moment that I think could constitute the courtship element here. I'm going to push back on the I Love Lucy one, but I will agree with you on the other ones. I think the I Love Lucy, that's more like an icebreaker. He was also doing work in there. And like, there might be a look, but also part of that look is her realizing in that moment, oh, it's time for me to do the job I was hired for. So I don't, I would not count that as uh, courtship or dating. Very fair. Yeah, because there is like this weird, like you could see this because again, Julie Roberts is truly an amazing actress. You can see the shift in her face when she realizes that, you know, they're having what she would probably consider like a fun, like veg out time where she's watching I Love Lucy, he's working on stuff. And then you could see her sort of like shift into that work mode. And it's, it's a very distinct look across her face when that happens. So I, I agree. All right. So Marissa, unless you have any rebuttals, I think we can say that they do date at some point during the film. Yeah, I would agree. I think there are moments that they are dating. All right. So did we laugh? Is there comedy? I mean, there were, I don't think I was like, you know, I never at any point was like dying of laughter. Um, 
I had, a, there were a few moments throughout the film where I was like, oh, hee hee. And I feel like I was mainly laughing. Sometimes it was like laughter is just like, oh, Julie Rob, Julia Roberts is so adorable. With the, with the necklace scene. Yeah, there's some good physical comedy. The snail thing in the restaurant, the snapping of her fingers. Which was improvised, I believe. It was, yes. That was completely improv by Richard Gere. So her laughter there was really genuine. All right. So we got courtship. We have comedy. Does love conquer the plot? If we remove the romance, does the plot still work? So I feel like if we got rid of the romance, we would still have like, you know, he, you know, brings Vivian back to his hotel. And I think he would still probably ask her to stay for the, I don't know, maybe he wouldn't ask her to like, stay for the whole night or to stay for the week well i think we have to decide where the romance starts and i think since the courtship started the day they take off because people were mean to her and he's gonna take her shopping they have a little picnic i think we have to go to that point i would argue that that's where the romance of this starts pre that i think it's on him his end attraction perhaps on her end also on her end this is a lot of money it's a business transaction. Attraction and then transaction. <laughs> yep, yep. So if we take away the romance, I think the plot would change because he would need another reason to ask her basically not to return to the life that she was living before he met her. You're certainly not going to have the grand gesture. There's no need for it. I would take it a step further and say that there's no true climax of the film without the romantic angle, because not only does he do the grand white knight gesture of climbing stairs for her, isn't that what we all hope men will do, is climb stairs and ladders. They're too busy taking elevators. <laughs> exactly. But I think that uh, the bigger part of the plot, you know, the sub, that what is a subplot in this film is the business aspect. And without the romance, without the noted change in him because of his love for this woman, the business deal would never have gone the way that it had gone, where he goes into business with Mr. Morse rather than just buying his company and selling it for spare parts. And you don't get the character growth. In a lot of ways, I would argue that uh, Julia Roberts plays really quintessential Manic Pixie Dream Girl in this role, because it's like, let me show you, boring businessman, how to actually enjoy life as if it is not a piece of dry wheat toast. And in that, he has a Tin Man moment and grows a fucking heart and is like, maybe I shouldn't tear down decades of people's hard business work just because maybe it's no longer thriving in a current economy. Yeah, no, I think that without the romance angle of this movie, it truly would not have gone in any direction because there would have been no character growth from Richard Gere's part. I think I agree with that. All right, so this this is a romantic comedy by the criteria we have put forth. Yeah, I think that um, I think that by Chelsea's criteria, especially of the comedy, uh, you've got mail was really uh, skin of your teeth sort of qualification. 
and uh, music and lyrics didn't end up making the cut. So this is technically our first really, really through and through rom-com. It's a, it's a milestone and Marissa was here to witness it. I'm truly honored to have been a part of this historic event. This is the first one we can confidently say is a rom-com. You've got mail as a rom-com, but uh, like I said, I last I laughed one time. <laughs> um, so before um, we've had Chelsea do like three fixes or roughly three fixes to the movie to improve it, to make it a truly likable film. So um, Chelsea, if you have them, but also Marissa, if you have some that you're like, this film would be so wonderfully improved if only they had x i mean i think the number one thing for me would just like if richard gear's character had like had like an actual like fucking personality like um basically just like scrap edward altogether and like create a different character like someone that's much more likable and charming yeah i think they should have had some charisma or even some sarcasm they could have really leaned into a comedic angle and had him be like you know the classic sarcastic snarky businessman who thinks that the world should just lay at his feet and instead he was just like um i don't know have you ever seen like a really big piece of lint i just feel like his character is the personification of like a stale wheat thin not just a wheat thin a stale wheat thin i think you could take it a step further it is a stale reduced fat wheat thin yeah i agree i would give him i i also maybe would have from the get-go edward needing a plus one to certain events because while you could argue, oh, he's just so taken with her, the context in which they meet makes that a lot harder to say. I feel like if, you know, he meets her, he needs directions, and, like, he's come from a meeting where, like, he's been reminded, you know, and he's just broke up with his girlfriend, that puts a little bit more urgency on it. So that just, that small tweak, I think, would work nicely. And then, you know, give him... Give him. He doesn't have to be like boisterous, but I think he could have been reserved in a way like we could have slowly cracked him open and like, you know what I mean? But the only time that it's like, oh, like he actually is like when he's playing the piano, but even that scene wasn't like super, I didn't feel like, oh, he's got this hidden world. It's just like, oh, well, he probably came from a wealthy family and they made him learn piano. I don't know what this thought just popped in my head. If he had been maybe more like um, Robert from Enchanted, like Patrick, Patrick Dempsey's character, because like he he was a little like, you know, kind of I don't want to say asshole, but like he was kind of a jerk. And then, you know, Giselle wormed her way into his like cold little heart. And, you know, I know that's a completely different movie, but I don't know because also you know with Robert he was kind of like because he was a lawyer so you know I know lawyer and businessman aren't necessarily the same thing but you know like big shot like corporate job kind of thing lawyer billionaire they're all assholes looking through the world you know with their own myopic lens of self-interest so 
is this a bad time to tell the world that I work for attorneys? <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's a great time because you have personal anecdotal experience that uh lets you know firsthand that this is truth. I know that Chelsea really, really hated You've Got Mail, but you know, Tom Hanks played a good jerk. He did. Look, I don't I don't know that I I don't have like a huge gripe against Tom Hanks. I just really hate that movie. But no, I I at least look, he made me hate him, which wasn't good for like my enjoyment of that film, but like Yeah, maybe we needed more of that here with Richard Gere. We needed him to I don't know, be something. I think also like you have that moment where He's like, I've never treated you like a prostitute. He walks away and she said, you just did. And I think that that part always fails for me because I, I like, yes, I, I, I see it, but I feel like you should have more times where the fact that he's hired her and the fact that they seem to be developing a romance should like rub together. You know what I mean? And I don't know that it does that enough. And I feel like that leaves you with a very rosy colored picture of this particular interaction that doesn't always sit well all right now it's time for us to rate this movie and marissa we like to rate films uh on a scale that is inspired by zillow's walkability score so we it's a one to five scale uh at one you have stranded in the desert you're far away from anything this is It's the worst place you can be, right? Number two, we got Backroads Barbecue. So you're still in the middle of nowhere, but there's a hidden gem. And perhaps if you are within 50 miles, you might drive to this place. They do have good barbecue, okay? But you might get shot with a firecracker. That's true. So it's a risk. Then we have number three, Strip Mall in Suburbia. So you can do some things, but that's, your options are very, you're still limited, but much better than the desert and uh, less likelihood of, uh, you know, getting injured at the barbecue place, right? And then we have four, you are four blocks from a transit stop. So you might not be near like the best stuff in town, but you can get there pretty easily and pretty cheaply and pretty, uh, eco-friendly okay and then number five the cream of the crop the best coffee in the whole city is right downstairs so on that scale what would you rate this film oh goodness um i don't know i feel like it's maybe somewhere in between like a two and a three so like a two and a half okay so you are at an outlet mall in dawsonville georgia yes Precisely. Madison? Yeah, I think that's pretty close. I was going to go with Strip Mall in Suburbia. You know, you're going to get some good deals. Maybe get some of those really uh, expensive Bath and Body Works candles, but you're going to have to drive like 20 minutes to get there, and you might accidentally run into somebody from high school. Yeah, I'm with you, Madison. This is Strip Mall in Suburbia. I think this film has some memorable moments um, and it's got uh, one, you know, it's definitely one character that uh, is memorable and that I enjoyed and I found endearing. Um, But I don't know that this is a film that uh, has cemented itself within my list of great media. 
I don't know this is one I'm going to like, oh my God, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. Though I could not believe Marissa had not seen this movie, mostly because I just assume she's seen things I've seen. So that's on me. I'm pretty sure at some point I may have watched like the first maybe like 10, 15 minutes with you because like the the beginning of the movie was very familiar. But then as I got further, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I definitely have never seen this movie all the way through. And the only reason I knew about how it ended is because of the show Young and Hungry, because they talk about like the, the main character, Gabby, like. I guess Pretty Woman is supposed to be like her favorite movie. So then her her boss, Josh, who like that's a whole can of worms to open up right now, but he pretty womans her. He like goes to her fire escape with like a bouquet of roses. I think I would rather be pretty womaned than say anything, but we haven't gotten to say anything, so we'll just leave that there. Alright, well, Marissa, thank you for carving out time in your very busy schedule to join us and talk about this movie. I'm I'm glad that it was not uh, as painful for you to watch as You've Got Mail was for me to watch. So that's a plus. Where can people find you on the internet? Do you want them to find you on the internet? Um, I mean, you guys can see the, the random shit that I post on TikTok. Uh, it's at marissa underscore c-i-c-c 97 and it's the same handle on instagram if you want to see some really weird fashion stuff that's related to disney and or animated movies no marissa is by far my favorite tiktoker um she got me hooked and now it's a drug and uh what i'm saying is marissa is a drug pusher along with being an arsonist Damn, Madison, you're blowing my cover. (laughs) Look, we expose crimes against women, but we also expose women who commit crimes. Whatever happened to be gay do crimes? Like, well, you know, I will say that um, ultimately the tagline, you know, my tramp stamp is I support women's rights. But more importantly, I support women's wrongs. So um, but speaking of blowing a cover... Chelsea, I have to reveal to you what's happening next time. Lay it on me. I'm ready. Next time we go undercover with Drew Barrymore, we're bringing her back, baby. And we're watching Never Been Kissed. All right. Yes, that is a wonderful 1999 film that is going to have so many crimes. I hope you're ready. Well, look, I like Drew Barrymore, so, you know, I am surprised that the first repeat uh, star is Drew Barrymore and not Meg Ryan, as I was promised that Meg Ryan is her own romantic comedy trope. She is, she is, but I, I have to be honest with you about something. I would lay down my very life for Meg Ryan, so I have to space any negative air around her. for my own soul madison loves when harry met sally and i think she doesn't ever want me to watch it (laughs) i mean guys just hang in with us until new year's we'll get there my soul will be shattered and you know lines will be drawn in the sand and that'll be fine 
but Chelsea, where can everybody find us? Or, like, not geographically, I don't want them to find me there. But online, they can, they can dig us out. In cyberspace, you can follow us on Twitter at TheLaughsPod. That's T-H-E-L-A-F-S-P-O-D. On Instagram, at Love at First Screening. And if you'd like to write us a note, uh, correct something that we said, like whatever the hell Jason Alexander's name is actually in Pretty Woman, you can write into loveitforscreening at gmail.com. And um, I did want to just one last thing. I am uh, now certain that Pretty Woman is a prequel fan fiction to Seinfeld. And this is actually George Costanza's villain origin story. He lost his job as a lawyer. And now he lives in New York uh, with Jerry Seinfeld. So I guess that's where we leave you. So until next time. 